0: Boy, what a great way to start off our Sunday morning today. My name's Nate. I want to welcome you here to Northside, and Becky, watching her get baptized, and we got baptisms during our 1130, and after our 1130 service this weekend, and our whole heart here is just simply to connect unconnected people to Jesus Christ, and I want to invite you, if you've never been baptized, or you just have questions about that, what does it mean to really follow Jesus and to give your life to Him and let Him be your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to go to mynorthside.com. We have a baptism class online that you can learn more More you can dive in, and we have our staff who would love to follow up with you. Uh, And this is why, because when Jesus comes into this world, when He came into this world two thousand years ago, everything changed. Everything changed for you and I. Everything changed for this world. That God was giving us a fresh start, and that's why we're doing this series called Identity Theft, because Jesus came to give us a new identity. He came to give us a new way to live. And this is what Satan loves to do. He wants to steal your identity in Jesus. He wants you to not know who you are in him. He wants you to believe that you're only stuck in your past. And that's why the past couple weeks we've been talking about the five most popular lies that Satan wants you and I to believe. Uh, You know, a couple weeks ago, we started with this lie that Satan wants us to believe that I'm only what I have. And then two weeks ago, my buddy, one of my best friends, Tim Foote, which sounds wise all the time because of his Australian accent, talked about this idea that I'm only what I do. And Satan wants you to believe that, that you're only as successful as you are in your work. And he wants you to just focus on either your failures or pursuing the next thing and to distract you from who Jesus is and who he's called you and I to be. Last weekend, my dad talked about the lie that we can only believe, uh, that, that Satan wants us to believe that we're only what others say or think of who we are. A couple of weeks ago, after I pre- uh, finished preaching about the lie of I'm only what I have, my buddy messaged me and he said this. Uh, he said that, man, your point in that sermon about when we start sulking, when we start walking around going, God, why don't I have that? And God, why haven't you blessed me like you've blessed them? We talked about when we start sulking, that, that is the key for you and I to start seeking the kingdom of God and to seek Jesus. And he said, after that sermon, he said, man, I was super convicted. He said, even though I know Jesus and I follow Jesus, he said, I believe that lie. Too many times I begin to think about what I don't have compared to what I do have. And he said, when I left church, my wife uh, turned to me and said, hey, you know the Incredible Hulk? He's like, yeah. He's thinking she's gonna give him a compliment, like I remind you of him or something like that. And she goes, well, you're the incredible sulk. And I was like, yo, man, I like that is some, you know, confrontation there. She goes, boy, that sermon was for you. She said because too many times all you do is you believe that lie that you're only what you don't have. And this is the way Satan loves to work, man. He loves to attack our minds and to distract us from who we really are in Jesus. And that's why we're gonna be looking at the lie today that I'm only my best moments, that that's all we are, that that's, we're just our highlight reel. You know, we look at people's social media and, and a lot of times what we find on people's social media is only their best moments. I have yet to see somebody post on a Monday morning, well, up three pounds right? Like, nobody says that, right? All we do is, like, I'm down 10, and I'm down two dress sizes, right? Even my pastor friends, it can be very defeating on a Sunday afternoon. You know, sometimes I'll go home and be like, well, that sermon was a dud, you know, and and all this other stuff, and I'll look on social media, and I'll see my buddies are like, we baptized 20,000 people this weekend, you know? And I'm just like, I didn't even preach last weekend, you know? And it's just it's just these moments where we begin to compare people because all we do is we talk about our best moments. And it's not wrong to celebrate accomplishments in your life. God has gifted you. He has wired you for good works. That's what Ephesians 2 says, that he has saved us for good works that he's prepared in advance for us to do. It's not wrong to go after good things. It's not wrong to go after the dreams that God has for you and I. The only thing is this, when we begin to define our life by our best moments, we begin to believe a lie. I had a pastor friend send me this video and he said, this is why I think God calls us sheep. Some of you maybe have seen this video before. It's a shepherd over in Europe and a sheep got stuck in a ditch and a sheep, you know, the, the, the shepherd was pulling the sheep out. It's like, oh good, he's head first down in the ditch. He's gonna be good. He's set free only to go back in the ditch. I saw that immediately thought about my own life. Man, how many times have I prayed, God, I'm stuck. Get me out of this ditch. Anybody pray that? God, if you get me out of this, I'll follow you forever. And we get out of the ditch and then we go, you know what, thanks God. And then we start trying to do our own thing, go our own way, and we only end up face down in the ditch once again. And see, this is the lie that Satan wants us to believe, that you're only Best moments are what define you. That's all you are. And here's what I found. The more I began to look at the scriptures about the lies that Satan wants us to believe, and specifically this lie that I'm only my best moments, what I realized is this. There's a lie behind the lie. Because it's not wrong to have great moments. It's not wrong to have great accomplishments. But here's the lie behind the lie. That Satan wants you and I to believe this, that we can be good without God. That's what he wants you and I to believe. You can just be good without God. You can be like that sheep. You can run free. You can do your own thing. That's where life is. And what he wants you and I to do is this, to begin to believe that we can just ride our own life, do our own thing, and actually experience the life that God really created us for. What Satan wants is to create as much distance from God in our life. Matter of fact, that's why he attacked Jesus the way he did in the desert. When Jesus started his ministry, the Spirit led him into the desert for 40 days of prayer and fasting. And when Satan shows up, what he wanted to do was this. He wanted Jesus to detach from God. This is why he tempted him and he said, hey, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into Panera bread, right? You know, you're hungry, and what he's saying is this. If you are, and he challenges his identity, and what he's trying to get him to do is this. Jesus, just be good without God. Why don't you prove your worth by your ability to turn these stones into bread? Jesus goes, no, no, that's not it. Man doesn't live on bread alone. He lives by every word that comes from his heavenly Father. Jesus is going, I'm not gonna try and be good on my own. I'm gonna live with my Father. Satan goes, fine. If you, if you are the son of God and you're here to get everybody's attention, why don't you go throw yourself off the temple? And Satan quotes scripture to Jesus and he goes, because it says that the angels won't let you get hurt. So why don't you go do that so everybody can give you approval? And Jesus says, no, don't put the Lord your God to the test. See, Satan wants you and I to begin to believe the lie that we can have everything we need apart from God. That we can just be good without him. That was actually the last temptation that Satan offered Jesus. He said, hey, look at all the world. I'll give you the power over all the world. You just have to do this one thing. Worship me. Live separate from God. And Jesus says, no, and he quotes Deuteronomy again. He says, worship the Lord your God only and serve him Jesus knew there is nothing good outside of God. God is all that we need. He is the life. That's why we've been focusing just on this one verse. It's Romans chapter 12, verse two. Because Paul, the apostle Paul who wrote this, tried for a long time to live life on his own terms, away from God, tried to be as good. He was victorian. He was head of the Pharisees. He had all the Old Testament memorized, the first five books of the Bible. He was a master in all that stuff. The only problem was he was living life apart from God. And when he met Jesus, his life changed forever. And he writes this in Romans chapter 12, verse two, he encourages the church, he encourages you and I today. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your what? Your mind. Man, be transformed, be changed. Come back to the truth of God. This isn't just about your best moment, this is about God's best moment through Jesus in our life and that is what changes us. Too many times we live our life trying to make ourselves instead of allowing Jesus to make us. And Jesus says this is where life changes. Matter of fact, even myself, in preparation for this sermon, there was a book, uh, Pastor Craig O'Shell, uh, he's the guy who created YouVersion, it's a free Bible app, highly in, encourage you to download, it has the Bible on there, it's for free, there's reading plans. He came out with a book this year called Winning the War in Your Mind. Uh, next weekend in our resource center, we'll have it for sale if you want to go a little bit deeper in this series. He talks about some real disciplines, how you can win the war in your mind, because let's be honest, that's where Satan attacks us, isn't it? Man, he attacks our thoughts. He consumes our things. He reminds us of our past. And if we're not careful, we'll just begin to live according to that. Or he'll, all he'll do is he'll remind you and I of our greatest moments because he wants us to think more about ourselves than we think about God. Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern in this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There is a battle for your mind. There's a battle for your thoughts and it's constant. This is what we call spiritual warfare. It's the way Satan wants to attack us. Here's the thing. That's why Jesus calls him the father of all lies. He's the deceiver. This is the way he works. He comes after our minds relentlessly. So how do we do battle with this lie that I'm just my best moments? How do we do battle with that? What I wanna do today is I wanna look at King Solomon who was regarded as the best leader, the best person in the Old Testament. King Solomon was the son of King David. So he comes from a royal line, he actually becomes the richest man in the world. He becomes the most influential man. You know, today we hear about influencers. That's like a job. You can just be an influencer. How cool is that, right? You know, you just influence people. Solomon was the original influencer. Everybody across the world came to listen to him. And at face value, we look at this and we go, "I guess that's he just had the it factor. He was just the best." This is what it says in First Kings chapter ten, verse twenty-three about Solomon. It said, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. He's the greatest of all time in the Old Testament. The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. I think in our honest moments, that's what we want, really. Doesn't it feel good when people come and ask you for advice? When people go, hey, would you help me with this? Man, it feels good that we're helping somebody or that people look at you as wise people. Now, a lot of us, we don't like it when people come up and wanna offer us advice. We're like, hey, man, I didn't ask that, you know? Like, nobody really likes a know it all. Like, go know it all somewhere else, right? But we love it when people come and ask us for wisdom. And when we look at Solomon, we go, wow, he's the best of all time. And what I found fascinating is this when I began to look at what made Solomon so great forever, I just thought he just had the it factor, he, he just had it together. What we find though in 1 Kings chapter 2 is David tells him something very interesting before he starts his rule. This is what he tells him. David says this in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 2. He says, Solomon, I'm about to go the way of all the earth. I'm about ready to die. So be strong, show yourself a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires walk in his ways, keep his decrees and his commands, his laws and his requirements as written in the law of Moses so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. Isn't that our desire? Man, we want our life to work out well. We don't wanna live a life of regret. And David says, hey, Solomon, here's what you need to do. Walk in God's ways. Don't try to be good without God. And then he says this, because if your descendants watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. God says, or this is what David told him, he said, God's going to be with you, Solomon. If you walk in his ways, if you go with him, things are going to work out really well for you. Don't try to be good without God. Don't try to rule Solomon without him. You turn over a chapter in 1 Kings chapter 3, what's amazing is God approaches Solomon and in verse 5, it says, At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream and God asked him, Ask whatever you want me to give you. Solomon, you're king. I'll give you whatever you want. Ask for it and I'm going to give it to you as you begin your new leadership. Verse 7, this is what Solomon asked for. He said, now, O Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father, David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours? I made a mistake. See, I thought Solomon just had it. Sometimes we look at people like that, like, babe, but they're just talented. You know why Solomon was the most influential person in the world in the Old Testament? Because he asked God for a discerning heart. And if we're taking lessons today about how do we guard our minds, how do we be transformed? I think this is what Solomon would tell us to do is this, do not ignore reality. See, too many times we just look at our best moments and we ignore the reality of our worst moments. I love what Solomon says. He says this, God, I'm like a little child. How am I supposed to lead this? This is what I found out, and you probably found this out before. In every season of your life, we have no idea what we're doing. Do you know that? Man, some of you are about ready to graduate high school and you're pumped for college. You have no idea what college is like. You're in college and you're pumped to start work. I can't wait to get out of college, be my own man, right? You know, but mom, please do my laundry. But I can't wait to be my own man, right? And we're so pumped to get out of college because we think we know what the real world's like. Then we get in the real world. Then maybe for some of you get married. I became a cheer dad this last week. Please pray for me, right? My nine-year-old, I have no idea what I've gotten myself into. I saw the schedule. They should have given me the schedule before I had Lily try out. I have no idea how to be a cheer dad. Some of you, are facing retirement. You have no idea what it's like to be retired. See, here's what Solomon did in this moment. You know why he was the wisest man? Because he asked for Wisdom. Too many times we think wisdom is only about what we know. I love what Erwin McManus says. He's a pastor out in Los Angeles, one of my favorite pastors. He says this about wisdom. He said, wisdom is not the result of having learned enough. It comes when you know there is never enough learning. See, that's the beauty of being a follower of Jesus. Jesus never asked you to have it all figured out. Jesus asked you to follow him. That's what he said. Follow me. I've got it figured out. Follow me. In this moment, Solomon, the reason why he becomes the wisest man is he asked, God, I'm a little child. I don't know how to carry out my duties. Would you give your servant a discerning heart? Man, what a great prayer for you and I to pray today. God, today... I don't know how to figure this out. God, I don't know how to navigate this relationship. God, I don't know how to navigate this season that I find myself in. God, I don't know how to navigate these marriage problems. God, I don't know how to navigate these family conflicts. God, would you give me your heart of wisdom? This is what we love to find out about our father as you read. God loves to give us his wisdom. This is what it says after that in verse 10. It said the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. God loves when you and I ask him for wisdom. God, would you help me? He's not embarrassed. He's not disappointed in you if you come to him going, I don't have this figured out. He's not disappointed. He's going, great, let me show you. It said the Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for this. And so God told him, since you have asked for this and not for long life or for wealth for yourself, nor have you asked for the death of your enemies... But for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have not asked for, both riches and honor, so that in your lifetime you will have no equal among kings. And if you walk in my ways and you obey my statutes and commands, as David your father did, I will give you a long life. You know what God says there at the end? Solomon, don't try to be good without me. Don't try to live your life without me. Man, I have so much more for you, Solomon. And what you read over the next seven chapters is this. Solomon does unbelievable things. The queen of Sheba comes and meets with Solomon. And it, the scripture says that when she met him and learned from him, she was overwhelmed with the wisdom of God. People all around the world came to learn from him because the wisdom of God was with Solomon. And then this is what it says in 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter. Whoa. Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, Hittites, a lot of knights there, Solomon. <laughs> they were from nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. God's. Solomon, you're going to go after all this pleasure. You're going to go after this stuff, and man, it's not going to make you good. It's actually not going to be good for you. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. That word, held fast, literally is like a marriage word where you leave and you cleave. And what Solomon did in that moment was this, he let go of the ways of God, the commands of God, the wisdom of God and said, thank you, God, I've had enough. I'm gonna hold on tight, fast to the pleasures of this world. I've got power, I'm the wisest man, I'm the richest man and I'm gonna get what I want. It says this in verse three, he had 700 wives of royal birth, 300 concubines and his wives led him astray. Life descended in destruction, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. He had followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians and Molech, the detestable God of the Ammonites. So Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord and he did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. Reminds you of that sheep who went back in the ditch, doesn't it? Man, God blesses him with wisdom. I'm just a little child, God, I don't know how to do this. Well, I'm gonna give you my wisdom. I'm gonna bless you, not only that, I'm gonna bless you with this so you can be a blessing. That's our calling as Christians. We have been blessed with Christ to be a blessing. And then Solomon goes, no, I'm gonna take it from here. Matter of fact, Jesus' best friend in 1 John chapter two talks about the temptations you and I will face in the world. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, he says, here's the temptations that will never go away. As long as you and I are live is this, we are going to deal with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That is what's always going to war in our mind. This is what was warring with Solomon. And the temptation is going to be, what are we going to hold fast to? What we find is this, if we ignore reality, like Solomon began to ignore reality, we're not going to finish well. And isn't it true about yourself, maybe you've not said this before out loud, but isn't it true that you want to finish life well? You maybe never written that down, but you're going, you know what, I want to finish well. Here's what I know about all of us in this room, none of us, when in kindergarten they go, say what you wanna be when you grow up. You know what I hope, I hope I wreck my life. That's my life goal. Man, I hope I get into so much debt, like I just, man, I just, oh, everything falls apart. Boy, I hope hope my family, I hope I just destroy my family. None of us plan on that. None of us, that is none of our aspirations. But see, this is how the lie of Satan loves to work. Just trust in your goodness more than the goodness of God. Oh, you don't need God, Solomon. You're the richest, you're the most influential man. And here's what happens. When we ignore reality, we don't finish well. That's why I love on May 25th, God's been stirring our hearts here. Uh, my dad is going to do an incredible uh, opportunity on May 25th for those who are nearing retirement or who have retired, so kind of like 55 and over. We're doing a thing here on May 25th called Finishing Well. And, and I love what God is stirring in our heart is this. Now, we're not going to card you at the door like 54. Nope, you got to wait till next year, all right? We're not, not going to card you. But what we're going to do this night is this. We're going to pour into you. We're going to remind you of what God's calling is on your life. Several of you, God has so much more for you to do. I told dad last week after his sermon, I said, dad, that might be one of your best sermons you've ever preached. I said, you've got a lot of gas left in the tank. He goes, I got a lot of gas, but I don't know about that. You know, I said, no, man. I said, you've got a lot of gas in your tank. What's so cool about my dad is this is what I love about him. He meets with over 10 area pastors every month here in our campus just to pour into him. He he mentors other pastors across the country. I've told him this. I said, Dad, I think the next 20 years of your life, you're gonna have more influence over the next 20 years than your whole entire ministry career. Here's what we know about God. God never wastes a generation. God is saying, I want every generation to finish well. I want every generation to say, I want you to seek a heart of discernment that says, God, I want to walk in your ways. God, I wanna follow your commands and I'm praying that that night, we're going to do this a couple of times a year, that you would just be encouraged and you would be reminded and you would hear the Holy Spirit and the steps that Jesus has for you to take. Because God has created you and I to finish well with him. He wants to bless us through Jesus to be a blessing to others. Because here's the other thing, not only if we ignore reality and our weak points and don't ask for God's wisdom, not only will we not finish well, here's what we find in Solomon's life as well it costs those we love the most around us. When you and I don't finish well, it's not just you that doesn't finish well. It impacts everybody around you. Listen to what it says, 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 11 through 12. It said, so the Lord said to Solomon, since this is your attitude and you have not kept my command, my covenant and my decrees, which I commanded you, God's going, I promised this to you in advance. You just had to follow what I have for you. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, I will not do it during your lifetime. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. From this point on in Israel's history, they go into a civil war and they go into two kingdoms and they are never united again. Solomon's decision to begin to try and be good without God, didn't just cost him, it cost the entire kingdom. It cost the entire nation. See, this is the devastating impact of sin. This is why it is so important that we don't fall into the lie that we can just be good without God. What I found fascinating this week is I was reading this passage and in 1 uh, Kings chapter 11, verse 1, when it said, King Solomon, however, like things were going well, and then however, Things took a turn for the worse. That's how Solomon's story ends. It's a story of however. Here's the beautiful thing about Jesus King Solomon's story, it ends with however. But the story of Jesus begins with however. See, when you and I come to faith, we know our wrong things, don't we? We're very aware of our sinfulness. And this is what Jesus says, I see your life, I know your sins. However, I've come to set you free. However, I've come to pull you out of the ditch that you're in face down. However, I've come to give you a new start. Matter of fact, this is what I want us to do just today, just to get our minds around this concept of God's grace. Would you just say the word however on the count of three out loud with me, ready? Count of three, ready, one, two, three. However. Now, y'all went to the derby yesterday, and I heard you yelling, go, baby, go, all right? And so this is, we need to, to kind of channel our inner voice here of celebrating God's grace. And so on the count of three, I want you to say the word however again. One more time. Ready? One, two, three. However. See, this is the gospel of the good news of Jesus, that wherever you are today, God says, however, I have a different plan for you. I'm face down in the ditch, however, the great shepherd is here to pull us out of the ditch and to take us on a new journey. Solomon's life ends in however, Jesus's life begins with however. However far you are from God, Jesus says, I've conquered that and I've come to bring you back to your heavenly father. However far you are from him, I've come to cover that. However messed up you are, I've come to heal all of your problems. However defeated you feel, I've come to give you a new life. See, this is what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us today to be people of the however, which means this. You and I need to experience Jesus's new reality. See, it's not just that we ignore reality. We need to experience Jesus's new reality for our life. Because when Jesus shows up on the scene, everything changes. The lies that we believe get confronted and the truth comes in. Matter of fact, when Jesus showed up, this is what I love. He showed up and he began to talk to these Pharisees. On one day in Matthew chapter 12, it records the story where Jesus is walking through the field on the Sabbath day. And what's fascinating is this, is Jesus is walking through the field on the Sabbath. You're not supposed to work at all. Well, he picks a couple grains uh, there and some of the heads of grain and he pops them in his mouth and starts eating. You're not supposed to do that on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees say this to him. I said, when the Pharisees saw this, they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. And here's the real story behind that. The Pharisees took more pride in how good they were than the goodness of God. Here's the only thing. They didn't know the lie that they were believing. Jesus goes, well, actually... Uh, Let me talk to you about that. And he begins to tell him a little bit more. And he says this to him in verse six. He says, here's the good news. I tell you that one greater than the temple is here. Whoa. See, Solomon built the temple. It was capturing the presence of God. And you would go to the temple. You would offer sacrifices to be set free from your sin. And Jesus says this, no longer is it about you going to the temple. The temple is coming to you. The presence of God is now coming to you. goes on and says this. I, he goes, if you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Here's the good news that Jesus is saying, when you experience his new reality, when you experience his however When he becomes the truth that you live by, when you begin to say, God, give me your discerning heart, give me your grace. I'm not going to try to be wise on my own. He says, this is what you're going to experience. You're going to experience God with you, which means this, you get to be freed of trying to make yourself or cover yourself from all of your failures in the past. Some of us, we spend our whole life trying to make up for all of our mistakes and Jesus goes, you can't make up for all that. However, I can. However, the cross can set you free. Today, do you believe that Jesus alone is the one who can make you good? See, when Jesus shows up, he's going, I've come to make you good. You don't have to make yourself good. This is about you and I letting Jesus make us good by his grace. See, it is about you and I learning how to receive grace, not earn our salvation. The new reality of Jesus He says, however, I have a fresh start for you. The Pharisees, they can't wrap their mind around this because they've been believing that they can only be good by themselves. And so Jesus goes on in verse 38 of Matthew chapter 12. It says, then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they come up and they say to Jesus, teacher, we want to see a miraculous sign from you. Who also challenged Jesus for a miraculous sign? Satan. See, the Pharisees in this moment didn't realize how much they've been believing the lie that you can only be good by yourself. And so they demand a sign of Jesus. If you are the son of God, we demand a miraculous sign from you. Jesus answered, a wicked and adulterous generation ask for a miraculous sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the son of man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He's a however savior. I'm going to redeem all things that are broken. And he goes on and he says this, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it for they repented at the preaching of Jonah and now one greater than Jonah is here. Jesus tells these Pharisees, he goes, listen, those people in Nineveh, those non-Jewish people, when they heard about God, they turned their life over and said, we know we can only be good with you, God, and their life changed. And he goes, they're going to stand up at the day of judgment and they're going to condemn you guys because you're trying to be good without God. And now the good news is this, Jesus says, one greater than Jonah is here. One greater than every failure that we've ever carried in our life is here one who's overcome all sin, the one who's overcome all death. And then he goes on and he says this, and the queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came, talking about the queen of Sheba, she came from the ends of the earth to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now one greater than Solomon is what? He's here. However, one greater than Jonah is here. However, one greater than the temple is here. However, one greater than Solomon is here. You have a God of the however. We say stuff like this, however, am I gonna get out of this? And Jesus says, your however is right here. And I will get you out of every ditch that you find yourself in and I will be your God, and I will guide you in the way everlasting because one greater than the temple, one greater than Jonah, one greater than Solomon is here. See, here's the new reality that Jesus wants you and I to experience. He wants you to experience God's best for you. That's what Satan wants you to not believe. What Satan wants you to believe is this, that God doesn't have your best in mind. God goes, I always have your best in mind. I always have what's best for you in mind. And I want you, I don't want you just to finish well. I want you to start well. I want you to live well. I want you to finish well. But he goes, here's how you're going to do that. You're going to allow me to be the one that makes you good. See, Jesus is all about experiencing for us that God is for us. And some of you are going, Nate, I love it, but I, I really still don't know how to do this and how to navigate this. Here's the good news. This is what Jesus, when he says one greater than Solomon is here, this is what he's saying I want you to experience God's wisdom today in the form of his son, Jesus. The church ought to be the most vulnerable and transparent place on the face of the earth. That's what our confession of faith is. That's when Becky got baptized today. You know what she was saying? God, I don't know how to live my life, but I believe you're the God of however. And so God, however you want to lead my life, God, however you want to take me forward in my life, God, I am in because I know you're the God who's greater than the temple. You're the God who's greater than Jonah. You're the God who's greater than Solomon. God, you have my life figured out and my life is for you. Question for you and I to ask, not just today, but this week is this, where are we trying to be good today without God? Where are we trying to be good? without God too many times it's easy for us to allow work to be the best part of us the only problem is this there will come a day when work always won't be good and then we don't know who we are or there's some accomplishments that you'll have in life and then there'll come a day where that accomplishment was 20 years ago And everybody will look at us going, are you still talking about that? See, the only one who can make us good is God. That's how he changed Solomon's life. This is what Jesus came to do for us. This is the battle that you and I are in. Am I gonna believe that I'm the only one that can make my life good. Or Heavenly Father, I'm gonna really allow you to be my good. Here in a moment, we're gonna sing a song that's become just a declaration for us as a church. It's called The Great I Am. And we love this song as a church family. We love this song as a staff because you know what happens when we sing this song? We're reminded, oh God, it's not how great I am. Life is about how great you are. And when I begin to walk in your greatness, what I find is this, my life actually gets a whole lot better. Even if the circumstances don't change, God, I have your greatness walking with me. God, you are forming, me, you are leading me. And maybe during this song, The Spirit's maybe already prompted you today just through reading your word. You're going, man, I know there's, I'm I'm over trusting in some of the goodness areas of my life. Or maybe this week, this is a prayer for you to pray. It's just simply this prayer. It's a prayer I prayed a lot, I prayed a lot when I don't know what to do with my life. It's simply this, God, what's the wise thing to do? God, what's the wise thing to do? You may find yourself in a ditch today and you've been kicking up dirt trying to get out of the ditch and you know what God's wanting you to do? Would you allow him to pull you out of the ditch? Would you allow him to be your wisdom today? Maybe you don't know how to navigate a business future, a relationship, or even how to get out of saving yourself in today. All we have to do is this, say, God, would you save me? God, would your wisdom lead me?